Welcome to The Village. I'm Gillian Dagon of Food Improved Consulting Group, and in this podcast, we will showcase career-defining moments and advice from professionals in a variety of fields. Today, we'll explore professional, personal, and culinary triumphs of one of my best friends, Alyssa Carmichael. Welcome, Alyssa. Thank you for having me, Gillian. Do you know why I chose you for this podcast? I don't know why. <laughs> well, I know the code to your house, so you can't <laughs> hide, number one. Um, but no, in all honesty, um, you're the first guest on The Village because you are my best friend. But actually, um, I chose you because in watching you as a professional, you have shown me so much about how to tackle hard things. And I know that that's a very, kind of a very general way to say it, but I've watched you see challenges and you know crush them with grace and poise and actually really remaining authentic. And I don't think that that's something that everybody can do. Um, Alyssa also makes one hell of a salad. So we're going to talk about that too. Um, but official introduction, uh, today I'm joined by Alyssa Carmichael, CPA. She is the CFO of Best Lawyers, the oldest and most respected peer-reviewed publication in the legal profession. A listing in Best Lawyers is widely regarded as the most reliable and unbiased source of legal referrals anywhere. Um, and I'm just going to share some interesting, uh, you know, facts about Best Lawyers. Um, it's published in over 70 countries around the world, and it's grown substantially in the international community. In the 27th edition, there are more than 67,000 attorneys in 148 practice areas covering all 50 states and D.C., and the inclusion of this year's publication is based on 9.4 million details of evaluations of lawyers by other lawyers. Wow. So as the CFO, did they make you count all of those evaluations? Is that part of your job? By hand, actually. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Um, so CFO, how old were you when you earned the title CFO? I was 35. Okay. So 35. 34. 34. Okay, 34. CFO of Best Lawyers. How did you get there? Walk us down your professional path. Oh my gosh. That is, how far back do you want me to go? Where do you want to start? <laughs> um, start, start when you graduated from college, maybe. Okay. Um, graduated from college. Um, started working in public accounting. Was not a clear fit for me. Knew that very right away. Um, then you have to figure out, okay, I have this master's degree and this um, professional certification, what the heck am I going to do? So I wound up taking a job at a, a company called Harsco Rail. Harsco is a Fortune 500 company. And they do, their biggest, the biggest arm of Harsco is Harsco Infrastructure. They're the largest scaffolding company in the world. Um, but I worked for a company called Harsco Rail that worked in um, automated robotic rail um, repair systems. Okay. So, and I mean, I think that's one thing about anyone, you know, anyone can say this about their career, I think, but you just find yourself in places that you never thought you would. <laughs> um, and I certainly didn't, you know, this isn't, I didn't actually apply for this job because I have a passion for rail. Um, I just needed a job and also um, it had international travel component and I thought that that would be fun. So I wound up doing Sarbanes-Oxley compliance work and doing a lot of um, travel to their different plants. I had the opportunity to go to China and Paris and England, and it was just a it was a it was a good place to work. I really enjoyed it. Um, but then one day I got a phone call from a recruiter that there was an individual, and I was living in South Carolina at the time. Uh, there's an individual that 
was looking for someone to come in and be the finance manager at his company as well as the finance manager of his personal um, state and personal life. And I wasn't really looking, but it did sound interesting, so I went ahead and went on the interview, and it wound up being very interesting. Um, his name was Steve Nafee, and he's him and his partner, at the, you know, who has unfortunately passed away now, but was alive then, Greg Smith, um, were looking for someone really to, you know, not only handle their their personal finances, but also get their company ready to sell so that they could retire. So I went and uh, started working for them, and very interesting people, Pulitzer Prize winners. Um, they, they created Best Lawyers in their Harvard dorm room. That's, you know, that same old story, but their true passion was art history and art, um, art, bio, art biographies. So they wrote the definitive biography on uh, Van Gogh. They wrote um, Jackson Pollock, which is what, what they won the Pulitzer Prize for, that was eventually turned into an Oscar-winning movie starring Ed Harris. Um, they actually lived in the largest house in all of South Carolina, 26,000 square feet, big, beautiful, that they had lovingly restored for years. And they had a very extensive art collection. Um, Steve Nafee was also an artist himself and was creating art. So I came in and was responsible for things that I had never thought that I would even have any inkling about. Yeah, okay, so let's just level set. Let's, let's, let's think about that for a second. So second job out of college, you're working for Harvard graduated, Pulitzer Prize winning art collectors living in the largest historically relevant huge mansion in South Carolina. This is all very normal. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> um, yeah, and it was certainly intimidating. I mean, I'm not, you know, that it was definitely something I wasn't sure I could do. I was, I was like 27 when I took that job um, and just filled with every day was something new to learn. And as Steve's art, as Steve got more and more into his art career, um, you know, I was dealing with galleries in New York and um, learning how to, he was shipping, he did a lot of large scale art installations and, and he worked a lot. He actually had, has a few pieces in the Middle East. So like, how do you ship these things and how do you source the materials from the Middle East? Um, that it was just a lot, it was a lot to learn, but so fun and such an interesting, um, interesting thing to do. Then, you know, on the flip side of that also, Steve and I got very close when unfortunately Greg had passed away. Um, this wasn't unexpected. Greg had battled cancer the majority of his life. Um, but I did, you know, as the position that I had as their finance manager, I did handle, you know, that the whole estate, the estate planning, um, and, you know, really trying to help Steve financially through, you know, what is was obviously a very traumatic event. So then you wind up in a very close personal situation as well. And finance, people's finance, when you know somebody's finances, you know a lot about them. And that can create a very um, trusting personal relationship. And that was an interesting thing and certainly not something I would have expected my career to take me. But I certainly learned so, so much. Yeah, so I mean, just thinking about that, you've worked, you know, you're working for these folks, you've worked in rail, you are a CPA, but something like estate planning and dealing with valuation of art, I mean, did your academic background prepare you for that? Mainly Google. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. You know, I mean, I think that that's, it's, you know, it's a joke, but it's not, not a joke. I mean, that's what I did. How do you, and I, you know, and I, you just have to go and 
and figure it out and you don't know what the answer is. And not everybody knows, you know, your academic career honestly very rarely prepares you for what you actually have to do every day at work. And you just have to go and Google it, ask questions, tap in your, you know, anyone. Now, unfortunately in my network, I did not know people that were um, high ranking in the, the art world. <laughs> um, so I didn't have a lot of resources there, but on the estate planning side, you know, I did, I, I did know some attorneys and I, and I did, you know, ask some questions and of course there's attorneys, they're best lawyers, but just personal connections. And um, I think that can go a really, that, that can really go a long way to check that ego a little bit and realize that you don't know, not every single person is born knowing every, how to do every single thing on the planet and people love to share their opinion. I, I think, I think that the whole point of checking your ego, I think is amazing. And, and I'll, I'll add to that, that like, I think sometimes when, when we're in a situation where we're like, I, I don't feel like my footing is that sure you know, my academic career didn't, didn't prepare me for this moment. I mean, you know that about yourself, mm -hmm. but not the rest of the world does not know it. You know, it's not like every, it's not like when you're the person on the dance floor, everybody is watching you dance. Quite frankly, no one is watching right. you dance. <laughs> so just go out there. Yeah, like, just do just it. Do just, it. Just, just try. I mean, and that's, you know, what's the worst that can happen is a, a phrase that I like to use with myself a lot. And it, it's a lot deeper than it sounds like, Sometimes my anxiety and my fear just feels like this, all I can say to describe is like adjectives, terrible, awful, bad, kind of like this black box of if I, you know, and it, it's wrapped up in fear of failure. And I, I in, a therapist once told me just to like march through it, like go towards it, actually follow the line all the way down and say, what are you afraid of? You know, and so, okay, I'm, I'm valuing art. I've never done it before. And it's scary. So you just, what would happen if I got this wrong? What would happen? You know, and you really walk through every step of that. And you realize that, you know, you're not the only one looking at this stuff. Somebody's going to throw, you know, maybe you'll make a mistake. But, like, nobody's going to die. You know, like, you probably won't even get fired. But, like, the fear is bigger than what you might be afraid of. So break down that fear into like what it actually is and it becomes less scary. Yep. Yep. Very, very true. All right. So, so we've now, you've valued art. You've worked in robotic rail repair systems. You've dealt with estates and personal finances. Um, tell me about your, the biggest first challenge with best lawyers when, when the, the business is changing hands. Okay. So in 20, well, the company sold in 2018, but we really got started on this project and really since I was hired there, but probably before that really, but, um, we started really getting ready to sell the company in 2016. And that was incredibly scary. Not only did I have no idea how to sell a company, um, you know, I truly cared for Steve at this point. We had gotten very close and I wanted to make sure he, you know, he was making the right choice and that he would be set up to live comfortably for the rest of his life. So that felt like a big responsibility. Um, and also like, I didn't know, I, you know, I, I work in private equity now. It's, it's a normal part of my life. I didn't know anything about that. You hear horror stories all the time. 
and I didn't know if I thought they would just fire me right like I didn't like I just thought that I would sell the company and then I would have not have a job I thought I was working for a year and a half towards unemployment and well wow. you know but it was my job so I did it and uh, that it was a lot that was a lot you know and then you wind up in New York and here I am in this like big boardroom you know overlooking you know all of Manhattan at this at this big investment bank and everybody went to Harvard everybody <laughs> got an MBA uh, you know so you just feel like you shouldn't like what am I doing here I'm the only woman I'm significantly younger than everybody else and you ha and everyone is so relaxed and comfortable and seems like they know exactly what they're doing and you are just like so scared hopefully you don't say anything stupid <laughs> so yeah but I mean you just so in those moments when you're sitting there hoping you don't say something stupid what what's going through your head um gosh I don't know I feel like sometimes those thoughts aren't as coherent as we'd like them to be right I think that kind of goes back to the the fear isn't a thing it's just kind of this like oh no it's so bad you know and I feel like I just kind of feel so unsettled and you know imposter syndrome is certainly a big thing and you can really feel that um, it's not real I don't think any like anxiety is not real it's just something you feel um, how do you get past that what's what's your personal coping mechanisms I think we all handle it in different ways um breathing you know deep breath I've been doing yoga for like 15 17 years now I think that's a big part of it I can get actually shortness of breath when I feel uh, very anxious and uncomfortable and trying to just like breathe through that take a long deep breath calm calm yourself um a lot of I, I use mantras and a lot of um, positive internal conversation um, your mind can so quickly go to negative and try to be just try to say, Hey, Hey, we're not going there. Let's just, let's just go here. Try to like stop it. Cause I do feel like it's like a, um, a negative self-talk is like a, it rolls, it gets bigger. It's like a snowball, you know, and the faster that you can stop it, the better you are. Um, it's talking yourself negatively. It just doesn't, it just doesn't do anything. Yeah. You know, so you just, yeah. why, why, why? No, I, I, I think, I think negative head trash, you know, that the trash talk where, you know, you're thinking about your, why, why what you're trying is going to fail or possible pitfalls. I mean, all of that is just wasted energy at, at a certain point. And it doesn't feel like it in the, in the moment, but if you can realize it, I feel like you can harness it and kind of flip the dialogue, right? Yeah. And I have one thing we talk about a lot is talk to yourself the way you talk to your best friend. Yeah. You would never say those nasty things to somebody else. Like, why are you saying them to yourself? It doesn't do, it doesn't do anybody any favors. Yeah. No, it's, a, it's an excellent point. And I, think, and I think, too, what you said before about really leaning into the fear and, and taking, it, taking it all the way down the road. Like, what, what happens if I blow it? If I absolutely flat out blow it, I might lose my job. Yeah. If I lose my job probably just going to get my resume out and go get another job. <laughs> and I don't know that, that doesn't sound so bad at a certain level. And like, you know, I don't know about you, but I've made some really, really big mistakes in my career. Like, 
I, you know, big giant whopper mistakes. And like, they didn't fire me because of it. Right. You know, I mean, like, I, I, humans are humans. I know we, we know other people in their, our careers who have made a big mistake and our first thought isn't, fire this person. You know, they've made a mistake and they, you know, you know they'll do better next time. And that most people give you a lot more grace than you give yourself. Yeah, that is a very good point. That is a very, very good point. So you're, you're selling this company. Never done this before. Um, you know, I, I remember you making presentations and having to really kind of, you know, stand up in front of the crowd and state the facts and stand by them. Um, because it, I mean, it's a sale, right? You're convincing somebody mm-hmm. and there has to be a lot of trust there. So in, in seeing that challenge and meeting it, you know, how does, how does something like the lessons learned there, does it translate to your personal life? Yes. You know, every relationship you work through makes you better. Like it's, it's all connected, right? You learn to be a better communicator. You learn to have more confidence in yourself. You learn to, and that thing, it's, it definitely, it definitely affects you on, on both sides, right? You can't have one without the other. One cannot be independent of the other. I think the way you apply some of the things that you learn is probably a little different in your personal and professional life. Um, you know, I'm a very open person maybe sometimes too open, you know? And I think that's something I've learned in in my career, which has kind of had my personal life, is you don't have to tell someone absolutely everything to not be lying. Mm, okay, of, okay. Kind of Get- have this tendency to just maybe overshare or be too open. Um, you know, you're allowed to keep some things close to your chest. I think that's hard. I know that's been hard for me in my career as well, especially managing a team where you may know details that will affect projects in the future or different people's career paths or, you know, just kind of the way, the way of working for a team and you want to share it because you believe in transparency, but at the same time, timing has to be right. Timing has to be right. Maybe it's it's not, that wouldn't be the best thing for everyone, you know, and that can apply to your personal life as well. Or maybe it's not the best thing for you. And that's okay too. You're allowed to, you're allowed to do things that protect yourself. Yep. For sure. For sure. So, you know, you mentioned yoga, um, and, and breathing techniques. What else would you, what else would you share as far as like things in your life that just help you either manage stress or wake up every day and go, okay, there's another mountain and I'm going to go climb it and here we go. What gives you that strength? Um, you know, my friends are a huge part of that. I'm a very social person and my friendships, like my friendship with you, I mean, has, you know, we're coming up on 20 years, which is wild. Crazy. Yeah. It's a good thing we met each other when we were like negative four. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but you know, these relationships are something that I've built throughout my life and, and getting strength from that. And then, you know, we've, we've turned out, turned out pretty good, which is really fun. You know, when I, like I, when I met you and just, we were so different then, but 
but it's been nice to grow up together and to like see the changes in each other's lives. Like it's just been a, you know, something I've really valued. And when I think about what is it that I look forward to on Monday morning, you know, I think about, um, you know, what, what's happening in my week. I'm a planner. I like to plan things out. And if, you know, if I know I'm having dinner with Gillian on Thursday night, that makes me happy. Yay. You know, um, I don't know. My fa- I'm very close with my family as well. Um, I have, and then certain, you know, passions. I'm, I, I work out several times a week. I think that just helps me keep my overall energy up and helps break up my day. Um, and I know the show is supposed to be a little bit about food, <laughs> um, but I do, I love to cook and the thought of like, ending the work day and going into the kitchen and pouring a glass of wine and like making something that, you know, just like chopping vegetables. Um, I know sometimes it's, you know, gotta be in the right frame because I know sometimes it's crazy and you're in a rush and like, it's not a lot, but like when you have the time to just create something, it's a very creative process for me and very methodical and relaxing. I love to be in the kitchen. And I love when you're in the kitchen. So, <laughs> I would equate um, a salad made by Alyssa Carmichael is like as good as the best chicken soup when you're sick. Oh, wow. Yeah, like (laughs) everything in the kitchen sink, just throw in the bowl and it's always so, so good. Um, So we've talked about career challenges. What's been your biggest challenge in the kitchen or a massive culinary failure that you've learned from? I I think one of the first meals I ever made for my now ex-husband was um, sea bass. And at the time, I think I was like 20, and I didn't even know what sea bass was. <laughs> and it was so terrible. <laughs> and so expensive. But I was trying so hard to make something fancy Ah. that I like outstretched, you know, and I think it's a probably a very good lesson in the authenticity. Okay. Not that you can't push yourself to try something new, but baby steps. Okay. And when you're making food for someone, you know, you're sharing a part of you. So make something that, you know, feels good to you. You know, make something that you feel, you know, you can like, this is going to make you feel good, make this person feel good. And that's a lot better than cooking something like sea bass, which I've actually never attempted again. (laughs) (laughs) I I do think there is a good point of like, you know, don't, don't cook angry. Right. Um, It's, you know, it's kind of the same thing. Somehow the emotions get stuck in the food. I'm not sure how that comes through, but it does. I think that's very accurate. Um, so next time you step into the kitchen, I know I know what you're doing tonight. I know you're not cooking dinner tonight, but next time you step into the kitchen, what will you be cooking? Next time I cook will probably be uh, Sunday night, and I'll be making something that I'll have that'll be able to have lots of leftovers and be able to like eat throughout the week. So. Are you done? <laughs> Can you go downstairs, please? Okay. Okay. Um, 
so I hadn't, I hadn't thought about what I'm going to make next week, but um, I was thinking last week about my, like, no, I don't want to <laughs> We can also skip this question. Mm. Okay, I'll, I'll get it together. Um, okay, so the next time I cook will be Sunday night. Um, we're actually going out of town this weekend, which is exciting. Woo-hoo! So it'll be nice to come home and kind of just get ready for, for the week. And one of the ways I love to do that is to cook to do a little meal plan and prepping that I can eat well throughout the week. Um, so I'll probably make a big, usually make some kind of like marinated salad, like that I can have, you know, for lunches or snacks in between. And maybe something that like can, that um, like shredded chicken for tacos or something that I can like turn into something else later in the week. I don't know. Um, I'll get creative this weekend. We'll see what happens. Okay. Not see best. Not see. Not see. Okay. Um, all right. And one more. Well, I have a couple more questions, but I'll say the last, um, the last thing I always like to ask people in an interview, not that you're interviewing today, we're chatting, but I even ask this in professional interviews and I'm sure it's been like the bane of a lot of HR people that I've worked with. Um, if you were a kitchen appliance, what kitchen appliance would you be and why? This is a classic Gillian question. <laughs> um, I think I might switch up my answer. Oh. That because um, I finally bought an air fryer. <laughs> and I didn't think that people needed air fryers. And now <laughs> I realize that it's the most valuable appliance that anyone can own in their kitchen. And so I think that... Uh, I think that I would say I am unexpectedly useful. Okay. I like it. I like it. I like it. And I mean, there's been a big buzz. You're very popular right now. Yeah, I'm trending. Yeah, you are trending. (laughs) Definitely. All right. So wrapping up, what would you tell your 22-year-old self about? I want an answer for life. I want an answer for food. And then finally, what would you tell your 22-year-old self about career oh gosh so what would I tell my 22 year old self about life um it's not gonna turn out how you expect but it's gonna turn out really really good and I think that that's something that we can tell ourselves every day yeah (laughs) yeah remind me remind me of that next time I'm down (laughs) you know like you just have to like keep going keep taking that next step keep taking on that next challenge and you know you'll get to somewhere exciting um career wise I would say you know you're better than you think you are you know there's just go ahead and go for it you know things that you know things that other people don't know you're you're you bring a value that other people don't bring we're all unique and you know you're you're going to do well and just don't be so afraid. Um, and then for food, I would say that this is going to be a, like a lifelong passion for you. It's a strange thing that I remember being like 15 and wanting to like cook dinner every day, every night, you know, for (laughs) my mom, which is very, you know, unusual, but like, it's going to be a lifelong passion. It's going to bring you closer to the people you love. And it's going to be something that you come back to over and over again to find comfort. 